If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open them this morning with me uh, once again to the book of Philippians. Book of Philippians, this first century letter to the church at Philippi written by the Apostle Paul shortly after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven. If you're visiting with us this morning or if you're tuning in online for the first time, we are working our way through the book of Philippians as is our typical practice to work through books of the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And so this morning we pick up in chapter 3 where we left off last week. For those of you who were here, we turn this morning to what is, I think for many of us, a familiar passage. It's actually one that we've looked at in this church before, several years back, before many of you were here, but even if you were here, it's worth looking at again, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. I love this passage. I pray it will minister to your heart this morning as we unpack it for the next few minutes. It's our habit and tradition here at God at Ascension for you to stand for the reading of God's Word, so I invite you to do that now if you're able. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Paul says this, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think, if anything you think, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Amen. May God add the ble- this, His blessing to the reading of His Word. This is the Word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. This morning as we work our way for the next few minutes through this passage, I'd like you to consider two exhortations from God's Word this morning. Two themes that we can use to talk about what the Apostle Paul talks about here. And the first one is this. God invites you to forget your past. God invites you to forget your past. The other day I was riding with my kids in the car and they asked me if I had ever been given a detention in my school days. And they seemed shocked when I said, of course. And they said, well, what was a detention like Now that's not because my kids are like super good kids and had never had detention. It's because they're homeschooled kids. And so they don't know what a detention looks like. And so I replied, well, detentions are, are boring. You're stuck in a room while everyone else goes home or is hanging out or goes to soccer practice or basketball practice. And one of the things that I remember distinctly about detention was washing chalkboards. Anybody remember this? 
Nobody? No one had detention here? Washing chalkboards in detention with water and a sponge amidst a whole lot of chalk dust. I'd make sure that the teaching board for the next day was spotless. The problems, the math problems of today washed away with the the possibilities of trigonometry still lying before us tomorrow morning. What a glorious thing. Some of you are like chalkboards. Think whiteboards, but with chalk. That's, of course, where we get our phrase, a clean slate. There's something wonderful about a clean slate, isn't there? The future is fresh and full of possibilities. But in order to get to that place, something has to happen with everything that has come before we got to deal with today's mess in order to get to that clean slate. What I want to let God's Word begin to root out in us this morning is the tendency of our hearts to do two things. To cling to the things that we ought to let go of and to forget about the things that we ought to constantly keep before us. Verse 13, Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and straining, pressing toward the goal. Now, Paul is not saying to us to forget everything. Take Israel, for for example. God had led his people out of slavery and he was leading them into the promised land, providing for them all along the way, guidance by night and day, water flowing from a rock, manna coming from heaven for their daily bread. And what do they say in Numbers 11? We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost us nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Yahweh had parted the Red Sea for them. And their minds are on onions and garlic. But brothers and sisters, we're no different. I'm no different. The Israelites are just displaying what is the human tendency in all of us. To be fixated on what we ought to forget. And to forget what we ought to be remembering. I love that the Apostle Paul was a sports fan, or at least was very sensitive to those of us who love sports, because here we see this imagery. Paul brings to mind the runner sprinting for the finish line with his or her eyes fixed on the goal. There's a statue just north of here. I've told you about this statue before. It's up in Vancouver, British Columbia, and it's in front of the Pacific National Exhibition Plaza, and it's a statue of the closing seconds of the Miracle Mile, which was a two-man race held in 1954 between the first two men to run a mile under four minutes. Some of you know it. And what is immortalized in that statue is actually the loss of that race. No, someone won it, but it was not the guy leading on the home stretch. 
sailing to a clear victory. Instead, as, as John Landy, who was one of the runners, was in front of his opponent, he was about to win the race, and he turned and glanced at where his opponent wa- was, and as a result, he lost his rhythm. He lost his step, and his step faltered. And Roger Bannister passed him at the last second. So John Landy would later be quoted as saying this, while Lot's wife was turned into a pillar for looking back, I am probably the only one who has ever been turned into bronze for looking back. We need to not look back. God invites you to forget about your past. First of all, you need to forget about your failures. This is what I need. This is what we all need, how easily and often we are weighed down by our regrets, how often we are paralyzed by our past mistakes. We beat ourselves up over and over again by replaying the same tape over and over again. But friends, what if, what if you could take all of your failures, your lack of efficiency and production at work, those those slips in integrity, your gluttony, your unwise spending, your harsh words, your wasted opportunities, your anxiety with life, your gossip, your subtle deceit, your pride. What if you could take all of that and really hear what God has to say about it? Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Jeremiah 31, the Lord says, I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How? How does that come about? Because He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God, that we might forget about our failures and move on with life. I invite you, Paul invites you, God invites you to begin forgetting the past by confessing it, repenting of it, and resting in Jesus. That's what we're here for. That's what we've been singing about. That's the amazing love of God for us this morning. We talked last week, for those of you who are here in the previous passage, we talked about Paul's former life, right? Paul, who used to be Saul, had plenty to forget about from holding the garments as those uh, Jews slung stones and killed Stephen, one of the early Christians, to his own active persecution of those who have followed Christ. Paul had this long list of regrets that could have held him down, that could have paralyzed him. But instead of that, what does Paul do? He just basks in the gospel. He rests in who Jesus is in spite of how he has failed. And the gospel does the same thing for you this morning. I don't care who you were. I don't care what you have done. There is forgiveness for it this morning in Jesus. Forgiven and now free, we live with our eyes forward, with our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith.
Your past doesn't define you. Stop replaying the tape. Confess it. Repent. Forgetting the past can be difficult. In fact, sometimes we in the church, we have the the double difficulty of having a hard time not only forgetting our past, but forgetting the past of others, right? We need to repent of that too. And we, church, need to let God's grace wash over us anew as we forget our failures. But there's another call to forget, I think, in Paul's encouragement this morning. It's a call to forget your achievements. Not just your failures, but forget your achievements. Paul the persecutor had plenty to forget about, but Paul the former Pharisee, the guy who walked lockstep with God's law, he had plenty of stuff that he should remember, right? I mean, he was all about dotting every I and crossing every T. We talked last week about his proud list of accomplishments as a Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, circumcised on the eighth day, and and so on and so on. But what did Paul tell us last week? That he wants none of that. He doesn't want any of the sin of his past. He forgets about that because that's handled. And he doesn't want any of the accomplishments of the past. He wants to strive for the prize. He wants to be found in Christ Jesus that he might be like him and that he might be with him forever. See, as a Pharisee, Paul's holiness was defined by how much he could do, what he could keep up with. But now as a Christian, his holiness is defined by another. The God-man Jesus who has done it all. Well, this forgetting of our achievements, that's hard for us to do too. It's hard for us to forget about our failures. It's hard for us to forget about our achievements because we all naturally want to bring something to the table. Look, God, what I've done for you. I'm going to confess to you, I struggle with this. How often I find myself like the elder brother, the older brother in the parable of the lost son. Right? God, I have served you faithfully. Don't you remember all those kind words that I gave that person in the face of their criticism? Don't you remember all those times I bit my tongue in patience? All my acts of service for you. All the ways that I've successfully resisted temptation. I keep a record of all of it so that I might seemingly give something to the Lord. But Paul has learned and he has reminded us and taught us through this letter that that is exactly the kind of attitude that kept him from Christ. Just as our evil works no longer have power to condemn us, neither do our good works have any merit for us. And so the gospel says this morning, forget about your past, forget about your failures, and forget about your achievements. If God used them, wonderful. Give thanks to the Lord for them. But don't let pride swell up in your heart as if you're giving a gift to the Lord. God invites you to forget your past. 
That's the first truth. And the second truth is this. God invites you deeper. God invites you to go deeper. Verse 12, he says, I press on to make it my own because Jesus has made me his own. What is the Apostle Paul pressing to make his own? The knowing of the one who has loved him. That's what Paul is after. To know the one who has loved him and called him to himself. Further up and further in to the life of God. The the Apostle Paul's motivation here is the same one that ought to grip us. It's that Christ has taken hold of him and made him his own, straining, pressing, owning it, not to earn anything, but in response to it. All these words, they come together to to paint a picture of the kind of discipleship that Paul wants for those who follow Christ. Christ. This is the life of true discipleship. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And unfortunately, this is often, too often, not American Christianity. Too often we make our faith just about a a ticket to forgiveness. A guarantee of heaven. And then life moves on. Or we turn our faith into some political ideology. Paul reminds us this morning that being a disciple is about the forgiven maturing in Christ and helping others to do the same. Forgiveness is just the starting line. The race and the renovation of a resurrected life lies before us. We here at Ascension, it's encapsulated in our mission statement Our mission statement says this, the mission of APC is to be a community of worshiping, maturing, and multiplying disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father by the power of His Spirit and in the hope of God's kingdom. So Paul says God invites you deeper. But there are two things that I think are important as we bring our time to a close this morning Two things about pressing deeper and about this pursuit. The first thing is, this pursuit is of Christ. It's a pursuit of Christ, of Jesus. What I mean by that is that God's not merely after better behavior from you or more solid doctrine that you might better have your theological ducks in a row. That's not what God is after. That's not the point of Paul's straining and pressing. The point of Paul's straining and pressing is relational. It's to press into Jesus, the God-man, who has made him his own. To recognize your absolute need of him every hour of every day. To understand his priorities and his loves. Making them your own. To increasingly make him your friend. Because knowing Jesus more deeply and more intimately will inevitably change us. And that's why Paul prays prayers like this. In Ephesians chapter 3, he says, according to the riches of his glory, 
he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Paul wants you to know Jesus. Paul wants to know Jesus. That's what the call is. But this is not only a pursuit of Christ. This is a pursuit in Christ. It's not only a pursuit of Christ, it's a pursuit in Christ. Because I don't want you to misunderstand me or Paul or the Scriptures this morning. God is not saying to you, having saved you, go for it. He's not putting this in your lap. Nor is he saying, step aside, let me do this for you. And that's where maybe the the blank slate illustration that I began with was a bit misleading because we are never on our own to move forward. Rather, the defining reality of those who repent of their sins, forget their past, trust in Jesus, the defining reality is that you have His presence. You have His Spirit. And therefore, deepening in grace is, as Jonathan Edwards, the theologian pastor from centuries ago wrote, Our deepening grace is wholly passive and wholly active. He says we are not merely passive in it, nor yet does God do some and we do the rest, but God does all and we do all. Now that sounds a little wonky, doesn't it? That sounds a little wonky, but that's the mysterious reality of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. What that means for us is that as we strive to know Jesus, to be like Jesus, we do so in the safety of our identity as sons and daughters united to our Savior. And we strive with the acknowledgement, as Paul said back in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, that God is working in us. That God is working through us. And so He doesn't leave us alone in the pressing, in the deepening. You see, brothers and sisters, the race being run is with the failures of the past firmly forgotten. The wind of God's Spirit at our backs, so to speak, and the prize of the fullness of the Son still ahead. That's what motivated Paul. That's what ought to motivate us. That's what the writer of the Hebrews says. Some think that was Paul himself. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, 
looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Brothers and sisters, how might you press into Christ anew this week, this day, that you might become more like Him, that you might see Him as He is? God invites you to forget your past. And He invites you deeper, deeper into His life, deeper into His Son. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning once again for your word. We thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul, the one who declared himself as the chief of sinners, and yet the one who so boldly proclaimed that he was safe, that he was secure, that he was loved with an everlasting love. Because of Jesus. Father, we confess how hard it is this morning for us to forget our path. We love to beat ourselves up. We love to keep track of our successes, of our victories, that we might in some way add to what you have given us. Father, we need neither of those things. All we need is Jesus. More of Jesus. And so I pray that you would do your work in your people as they go from this place, that you would instill in them a hunger, a thirsting for more of Jesus. Oh, Father, show us the way that we might be conformed more and more to the image of our Savior, the one who has loved us the one who has made us his own. This I pray in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.